Much better. Thank you. First service when he announced me, he said, I'd like to introduce Pastor John. And I said, oh, thank you. Oh. Yeah, first service, he was like, I'd like to introduce Pastor John and walked down. And I, I thanked him for service for the wonderful welcome that he gave me in. So he did a little bit better this service. Um, so your eyes do not deceive you. Um, some of you may be thinking, man, Lance, your vacation was amazing. You grew back all your hair. You're 20 years younger. Uh, I'm not, I am not Pastor Lance. Uh, a lot of people do say that we look like brothers. Uh, there are times that the word tells us that we need to correct falsehood. So if that ever happens ever, please correct it immediately and say they are not brothers. They look like father and son. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, love you, Pastor Lance. We'll see. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's going to listen to this one or the first service. We'll see. This one was a little sharper. Um, so uh, also, I, I may want to apologize to some of you. It was announced that Pastor John was going to be preaching. And we have two Pastor Johns on staff, myself and Pastor John Hahn, who's there. Uh, he is not preaching, so if you were expecting him, I apologized. However, fear not. This upcoming Saturday, he's kicking off uh, the Young Adults Ministry with a barbecue. So he'll be speaking at that, which will be amazing. In addition to that, I'm going to be barbecuing some meat. So what better opportunity do you have to listen to the word by having delicious meats uh, that you consume? That was, that was awkward. <laughs> so come to that. That'll be amazing. So... Um, Thanks for that. Well, this week we are speaking or going over the Remember series. And what we do here at Puget Sound Christian Center is that during the month of August, we take some time and we, we reflect back on some of the sermons that we've done in the past year. It's a great opportunity for us to sit and reflect on what God has done in our lives through the messages. So this week I'm talking about generosity. This was a sermon that was preached in December. It was over our kids' Christmas play, which, by the way, we are doing sign-ups right now for this year's Christmas play in August. It is, it is freaking me out a little bit that we're discussing Christmas already in August, um, but we're looking forward to that. And also, Lance preached the Christmas sermon. The very first sermon that was preached on this concept of generosity was from somebody, a pastor. I don't know if any of you will remember him, Pastor Omar. Um, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek. He, if you are newer to us, he was an executive pastor who was here for nine years, and he left to go take over a church in Federal Way. So he preached on generosity, and I had, I, I learned very quickly when I came on staff here how beloved Omar was, who's been around a lot. I, I have two love languages, two main love languages, sarcasm and making fun of people, and I tend to just to do that in my normal life. And so the very first staff meeting I was at was the very first staff meeting Omar was not there. So the staff was a little raw. The first time he hadn't been there in nine years, and all of a sudden here's me walking in um, to staff meeting. And, and I had known, I know Omar kind of before this, even though we were kind of transitioning. I had a relationship with him before. And so I made some crack where I just kind of made fun of him a little bit, like I did with Lance this morning, as a, as a, as a showing of my love. But he wasn't there, and nobody else really knew that or knew me. Um, and I, I can't even remember what I said, but Heather, Pastor Heather, uh, looked at me right after I said some crack, and she looked right into my soul and said, you have not been here long enough to make fun of Pastor Omar. <laughs> and I was like, 
So, and I wasn't quite sure, like, all right, is she just joking back to me? Like, is this just a joke back or is she serious? So I have a foolproof way that I want to share of how if, if you ever have a situation where somebody says something and you're not sure if they're serious or not, I have the method in my pocket here. It's the double guns. So when she said that, I pulled out the double guns and said, ha, 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 like you're joking, right? And she was dead-faced. She was absolutely serious. Still to this day, the only staff meeting where I didn't say a thing. Um, I love Heather. She's amazing. She's great. But I absolutely fear her, despite my size, <laughs> despite my size and, and, and loudness. Um, what I loved about Omar speaking on generosity is that he had a couple of, he framed generosity and he had a couple of quotes that I love. First of all, he said that if you have an issue with generosity, ultimately what it boils down to is that you have a love problem. That if you have a problem with being generous, ultimately it's a love problem in your heart. That that is the essence of what generosity is. It boils down to love. And he also talked a lot about how generosity is a muscle, something that you have to continually work on. And you can get better at. Like a muscle, if you work it out, it gets stronger. Same way with the attitude of generosity. And he also made this generosity bigger than just how we hear it. Because when I hear generosity sitting in a room, you usually boil it down to two things, like money or time, that I need to either give more money or give more time. And I loved how Omar kind of set up. He shared an example of the Good Samaritan and about loving somebody else and being a neighbor to somebody and that this generosity is bigger than that. So today, the passage that I wanted to take a look at is in Luke chapter 6. And when I was talking with Lance about what I wanted to preach this morning, he said, what do you want to preach on? And I said, I like to preach on this verse in Luke. It talks about giving. But the way that I like to preach is I like to study the word. And then whatever the word, whatever comes out of that is what I preach on. So I don't know what my points are going to be. I don't know what the application is going to be. Sometimes when you're given a sermon topic, it's like, hey, this is what you're preaching. These are your points. This is the main verse. And that's another way to do it. And I, I like doing that too. So Lance was like, hey, go for it. So It's fun to do that, but sometimes it's a little scary because you don't really know what's going to come out of that. As you begin to prepare, it just naturally, the points just kind of come to you. So that's what I did today. So what I want to do is give you a little behind-the-scenes action in in this sermon today. As I begin to study, I thought I understood generosity pretty well, and then I got very confused. Left turn, and I was like, I have no idea what this even means. How the heck am I going to preach on this? But through further study and through prayer, I think that this generosity, what generosity is, completely blew my mind. It's so much different than I expected it to be. So you'll see me in my confusion as I kind of go through. And it's, it's a little different, but I thought that would be fun this morning. So we're going to get into our verse in Luke 6. This is during the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It was early in Jesus' ministry. It was before he had begun to travel around Israel. He was up in Galilee, kind of his home base. And the Bible says that there were hundreds and thousands of people that were coming from all over to hear Jesus speak. So many, in fact, that he had to go up into the mountains just to be able to speak to them all. And he went to a large, flat area where everybody gathered together where he gave this sermon. And it's one thing just to have a good sermon and to preach a good sermon... 
But what Jesus did is after he preached the sermon, he spent the next three years of his life modeling what he preached. It was groundbreaking. He said things in the sermon like, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, don't even hate. Because if you hate, you've caused murder in your heart. He said things like, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even look lustfully upon a woman. For then you've committed adultery in your heart. What he was doing, he was shattering righteousness. What righteousness is and how people viewed righteousness. And how people thought, well, if I did these things, if I followed these laws, then I'm righteous and I'm good. And what Jesus was doing is he shattered that entire idea and he said, no, it's about your heart. You guys are missing the point. You're missing the point. The point is that these laws that we need to follow expose something greater into our hearts. And this, this sermon is, is great. It's, there's a lot in there. It's hard to boil it down to one theme, but I think this is kind of the main point that Jesus speaks about. It's important to keep that in mind as we read this passage about generosity. So keep that in mind about what Jesus is doing, shattering the concept of righteousness and saying it's not about checking boxes and making sure you've done that, done that, and that. It's about an attitude of your heart. So I'll read to go ahead in verse 38. Luke 6, verse 38. It'll be up on the board. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What a great promise from Jesus in this verse. I just want to take a moment of that. That I love that. That if you give, it will be given back. And this picture that he portrays is one of abundance. Something that his listeners would be very familiar with. I know that as as you read it, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, what does that really mean? He's referencing when people would go to the marketplace, they would bring their own jars to fill with either grain or flour or something. And you have the option of going to different sellers. You can go to those with good measures and those with bad measures. The ones with good measures would take your jar, would plunge it into the grain or the you know, barley or oats or whatever, would bring it up and then would press it down to fit more into your jar and then come back and then shake it around a little bit and it would be spilling over. Or you could choose to go to the person across the street with the bad measure who would kind of gingerly take the jar and just kind of naturally go up and then give it to you. And it would be the same price for both. So when Jesus says, give and it will be given back to you, good measure, give good measures. There's something that Jesus does in this sermon and really throughout the New Testament where he likes to say things that are counter to human nature. It's human nature. If I want to receive, I want the good measure. But it's also human nature that if you're selling grain or oats, that you kind of want to give the bad measure, right? Because you want to make more for yourself. And so Jesus, through this, is saying, hey, if you give out of an abundance, it will be measured back to you so much, in fact, that you can't even contain it. I love that promise. I love that picture. I was trying to think of an example today of we don't buy grain or flour that way anymore. So I thought of um, a method that uh, I've actually got really good at is I live in University Place and down the street from us used to be a frozen yogurt stand called Granola's. Uh, They're no longer in business, which I, I don't understand because my family was putting their kids through college. The amount of times we went to Granola's. And you pay 
for frozen yogurt by the ounce. You fill it up, you get the cup, and you're like, all right, I want to get about $4 worth of frozen yogurt, and then $12 later when you buy it after you stack everything. Uh, however, on, five, on Fridays, they had a promotion called $5 Fridays, where you, whatever you can fit into the cup, you get to keep. And I learned the tricks and the methods of how I can pack as much froyo into the bowl as possible, where you just kind of stuff it with the, with the toppings and everything. And I found that the best way is really you get the bowl about six inches above and drop it, and let it smack down, and it just kind of just kind of compacts all the froyo. And you have it. You have a huge thing with spoons that you try to keep everything else. And by the time I'm very similar to that picture of abundance and flowing into your lap because I got froyo everywhere. But. But it was only $5. Now that I think about it, I think I know why they went out of business. <laughs> um, but I love, I love the picture that Jesus talks about. And this brings me to my first point that I want to talk about. The generosity is all about your attitude. Generosity is all about your attitude. What Jesus could have done here is said, hey, if you give X amount you're going to get X amount back. If you give one denarii to something, you're going to get 1.2 back. Or you're going to get 120% back. Instead, what he, what he says here, the measure in which you give will be given back to you. It kind of works both ways. The measure in which you give will be given back. And is he talking about grain? He's, no, he's talking about your attitude. It's a choice. You can choose to give the good measure out, something that cuts against human nature, and that's what we receive, or you can choose to give the bad measure out. It's all up to you. That generosity, it's a choice, but it's an attitude that we have. It's not an action. It's an attitude. That when we give, we can give out of abundance and expect to receive it, or we can give what our human nature wants us to give, but that's what we'll receive back. So while studying this, I got that part and was like, that makes sense to me. Generosity, man, I got this down. However, when I begin to study further, I noticed something in verse 37. If you can put 37 back up here. I had some different scriptures out, different Bibles out in different translations. And I noticed in verse 38, you'll see there, Give, in one of my translations, was not capitalized. In every other translation, it was. And I said, well, that's really interesting. There's a typo in my translation. So I went back to my Greek Bible. They use capitalization and punctuation very similarly to us. And the Greek word for give also wasn't capitalized. So this verse 37 as I begin to study, I realize where it says give and it will be given back to you. It's the second half of a sentence, the second half of a complete thought. And I was like, well, this is really important for me to figure out if I'm going to be preaching on generosity and giving. I should maybe read the sentence or the, the, part, the first half of the sentence and figure out what Jesus is talking about here. And this is where I got confused. It was at this moment after I read verse 37 that things began to go off the, off the rails for me a little bit. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. 
for the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So I get the giving part. I get the good measure part. You want to have good measures, and it's an attitude. But what does judging, condemning, and forgiving have to do with giving? What does that have to do with generosity? It's one here, one string of thoughts that Jesus is talking about. I even studied each one of those Greek words and said, is there some type of like root word? Do they rhyme? I mean, what is going on here? Why are these, why are these thrown all together? And I began to think a lot about my idea of what generosity actually is. And I'm like, I wonder if I'm missing the point here. Because I'd like to focus on the giving part. You can always give more. But I, don't really, I haven't really heard this verse talked about in the past, judging and condemning and forgiving. So what I did was, is I went back to the drawing board again and took a little wide-angle lens at this section of Scripture, these verses. And I went back and started at the very beginning, verse 27, which I'm going to read now. As I read this Scripture, it began to become clear to me about what Jesus, what the heart of what Jesus is talking about to his listeners. That generosity, that giving, is so much bigger and broader than I thought. So much richer. So I'm going to start in verse 27, and I'm going to read through these next 10 verses. So keep in mind, as I'm saying this, what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount. He's taking the idea of checking boxes, saying you're righteous because I did this, this, and this, and I'm good. And Jesus is saying you're missing the point. It's about your attitude. No matter where you are on the righteousness righteousness scale, there's still more that you can do. Verse 27, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. As I read this portion of scripture, my idea of generosity got just completely rocked. There's so much here that Jesus is asking us to do and his listeners to do. Not judging, not condemning, blessing those who curse, praying for those who harm you. There's also another thing that I think, if there's, if there's one kind of point that I wanted to take, this one kind of thesis statement that Jesus mentions here that has to do with generosity is in verse 29 where Jesus says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. 
And for the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your, cl- your tunic. And it's kind of like, I almost want to ask Jesus, like, what exactly do you mean here? So you're saying, like, I'm on I-5 and someone rear-ends me in my car. I just kind of be like, hey, man, you're good. In fact, let me, let me back around and just smack into the front of me, too. Um, so, and then, yeah, don't worry about it. Go on your merry way. Right? I mean, isn't there some times where we're justified, where if somebody wrongs us, that we have some type of form of justice back? What exactly is Jesus talking about? He's doing something very specific here. Very specific. That hits at the heart of generosity. There's a virtue that was around during this time that the listeners would understand. It's not a virtue that we really nowadays um, care about as much. This, there's a Greek word, apixis. We don't really have a translation for it. And Jesus doesn't use the word here. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament. But it's this concept that even though you may be right and justified in an action, you choose out of love to not cash in on the judgment. So even though you're right and you can go ahead and go through the law sees that you're right, you actually, out of love, you hold back and you yield. The listeners would understand when it says, when someone strikes you on the cheek, because in their mind, in the way in the Old Testament, what would happen, if somebody struck you in the cheek, you are allowed and it is righteous for you to strike them back, an eye for an eye. Someone hurts you, you hurt them right back. And that's fair and equitable. In fact, in the Old Testament, that was something that was... Very ethical, because human nature says, if you take something from mine, I'm going to do twice back to you. And the Old Testament was like, no, just do it equal. So it was actually ethical. However, what Jesus is saying here is that even though you're right and justified to strike them back, there are going to be times that I want you to withhold what may be seen as right or just out of love. Radical. There's another verse in the New Testament that I want to speak on that hits on this topic in another way. It's in 1 Corinthians 8. So I'm not going to put it up on the board, but I'll share it. There was a dispute that arose in Corinth after Jesus had died. And there were these two factions that had emerged. And Paul, when he was writing a letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8, he talks about this dispute and he renders a decision. What was going on is that there was pagans who would sacrifice, as a part of their worship, would sacrifice animals. And they weren't dumb pagans. After the, after the sacrifice happened, they wanted to sell their meat because they wanted to get a little, little bit of return on part of their worship offering. So they would sell it at the marketplace at a discount and say, hey, it was used in our sacrifices, but we don't need it anymore, so go ahead and, and use the meat. And so you would get some in the church, in the Corinthian church, that would say, who really liked meat, who would say, hey, this is a great deal. I'm getting this meat at a discount. Kind of the joke's on them. We worship the one true God. What's the big deal? These idols are not real. Let's go ahead and purchase it at the price and, you know, ha-ha on them. I have a feeling that if I was in Corinth, I would fall into that camp. Because I love my meat. As you can see. And also, I have four kids, so I'm cheap. So, you'd have that camp. But then you had a different camp who said, you know what? I get that you get a good price. However... I don't think we should have any part of it. I think that if you take part in, in that sacrifice, if you have the good deal, it can make you unclean. And I don't think we should support those sacrifices. Even though that there's one God and it doesn't, it doesn't work out, I think that you should just not do it, just pay full price. And there was this dispute that was going on, and obviously was a big enough dispute where Paul wrote about it 
and he rendered a decision. And what he said was, is he went to the cheat meters, I'll call myself the cheat meter, and said, hey guys, you guys are actually right. There's one true God. What does it matter if you eat the meat or not? That these gods aren't there. So go ahead. It's not going to make you unclean. You know, have at it. You guys are right. And I can imagine myself kind of being back in corn, sitting in the uh, audience as it's being read, and just kind of like putting my fist up, like, cheat meat. So excited. Thank you. I'm right. Instead, Paul does something a little absurd. He says, cheat meters. You guys are right. It's not going to make you unclean. However, out of love to those other people who take offense at it, I don't want you to eat the meat. You're right, but I want you to not eat it because you're more mature than they are. So please do me a favor. Out of your love for them, just go ahead and pay full price for the meat, even though you're technically allowed to. I can just imagine kind of sitting there after proclaiming victory to myself, being a cheat meter, and then to hear, yeah, even though you're right, you still need to not eat it. Generosity is this tough thing. I know that nowadays we really like to stand on justice. But this point is, is that the second point that I want to talk about is that love trumps justice. Love trumps justice. That there are times in our lives you may be right. You may think you're right, but you may actually be right. But Jesus says you need to yield to the other person. You are absolutely justified to continue feeling that way. You are justified in acting that way. However, out of your love for that person, love trumps justice, and you need to lay it down. And that is stinking difficult to do. I'm a debater. I like to be right. That's my wife, man. <laughs> I debate all the time, and I have arguments, and I, there's just something in me, in all of us, that want to be right. And it's one of the most difficult things for us to lay that down. And even though we may be right, to sit and out of love for somebody else, to yield. I've actually used this uh, verse in 1 Corinthians in disputes before. As a pastor, you get a lot of times in an interpersonal dispute between two people. So what I like to do is I sit both people down separately and I go to the first person and says, who do you think is the more mature person, you or the other one? 100% of the time, the person that's in front of me says, I'm the more mature person. It's happened every time. And I say, all right, sounds good. Well, let's read 1 Corinthians 8, and let's see what the more mature person is supposed to do to the less mature person. <laughs> and they read it, and I say, all right, sounds good. You're right. You need to go apologize. And every person has been like, no, absolutely not. And I'm like, what's your problem? It's like, because I'm right. And I said, I know you are, but you're more mature. You need to go to apologize. And it, it freaks people out. It, it's crazy. And then... They sit there, and then because I'm me, I'll, and when they're struggling, I've done this several times, I'll say, you know, you're saying that you're the more mature person. Do you, do you want to sit back and think about that a little bit? I'm not so sure you are the more mature person here. And then, without fail, you always get the, ugh, fine, I'll go apologize to that person, and then they go back, and it's tough. There's, there's toughness. And then the worst part of that example is when I use that to other people, and then I get into a disagreement, and then they use my advice back on me. The audacity of some people. I've been in the same situation where I, where I am right. Oh, I'm right. Everyone can say that I'm right. But love trumps justice. 
And there are those times that out of your maturity and out of your love for somebody else, you say, I'm sorry. And you may have to apologize for things that maybe you don't have to. The listeners would understand this when Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, they'd say, all right, great, go ahead and strike him back. Maybe I won't hit him as hard because I'm, you know, I'm a good person, so I'll hit him at half speed. Jesus say, no, turn the other cheek. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's crazy. Generosity is so much bigger. It's such a huge attitude. But there are those times in our lives where we need to make sure that love trumps justice. So this brings me to my last point that I want to get at, is that generosity is a complete lifestyle. Generosity is a complete lifestyle. We're really good at putting up barriers and compartmentalizing our life. This is what the listeners were doing when they were hearing Jesus. They had these methods or these lists of that if I do these Ten Commandments or if I do these things, then I become righteous. What blew my mind about generosity is how much generosity is a complete lifestyle. It's actually really nice to boil generosity down to giving financially or serving. When you start talking about apologizing for things that you don't want to apologize for, when you start talking about praying for those who curse you, doing good, loving your enemies... It is a complete lifestyle. It's tough. It's not easy. It's something that encompasses every bit of you. I want to look at some of these things that Jesus asks us to do in the section of Scripture that I read. He mentions each one of these things. He asks us to love, to do good, to bless, to pray to be merciful, to not judge, to not condemn, to forgive, and then lastly, to give. What Jesus is saying here, I go back to that comment that he made, that the measure in which you give will be the measure that's measured back to you. Jesus is saying here that the measure in which you love, love will be measured back. The measure by which you do good, good will be measured back. The measure by which you bless, blessing will come back. The measure in which you're merciful, mercy will come back. This is the tough one. The measure in which you judge, judgment will come back. The measure in which you condemn, condemnation will come back. But the measure in which you forgive others, forgiveness will come back. And lastly, the measure in which you give, comes back. And I really like to compartmentalize really everything in life, as I said. I do this while cooking. I really like to bake, or not bake, no, I'm not a baker. I really like to, my wife laughs the hardest, she knows. Um, I really like to cook. I like to barbecue. I even made some potato salad for a a little get-together, family get-together we're doing later. But whenever I bake, I like to have everything compartmentalized. I'm like a scientist with my spices. I get everything perfectly lined up, and I do it. When my wife cooks, she kind of throws things in, and it's a little bit different every time. So that just kind of shows that she's the actual cook as opposed to me, where I just kind of follow directions. But 
I'm really good at saying, hey, if I do this, if I put this in, I know exactly what's going to happen. And once I find a recipe I like, I don't change it because I know exactly what it's going to be. What's tough about generosity and about having good measures is coming back is that what I would like is that if it was like, hey, if I give financially, I'm going to get financially stuff back, right? If I start tithing, I'm going to have more money in my bank account or I'm going to get a check that shows up. I mean, I've heard it preached that. I've heard it talked about that way. Or it might say, hey, if I, if I forgive somebody in this relationship, I'm going to forgive them. They're automatically going to turn around and forgive me right back, right? That's how it works. Does that work forever with you guys sometimes? Or if I love somebody, I expect love back. Jesus, in this promise that he gives us, it's all-encompassing. And there may be times that you may give and forgive somebody, and you may not get the forgiveness back, but I guarantee you, you're going to get it repaid back. It could be in money, it could be in forgiveness. I mean, let's just talk about forgiveness for a second. I mean, who's forgiven, and how much of a blessing is it that we're forgiven as people? I really, I don't know how the math works. I wish that I did know. I wish that I knew that, hey, I can do this and I can get this back. But the point is, is that if you have an attitude of one who is generous, generosity, it will come back to you. It may not be A for A, B for B, but it will come back. And I love that promise, and I'm standing on that promise that Jesus says. It's amazing. Talk about an awesome return on investment. That when you invest in the kingdom and you invest in loving people, that it will come back to you. So what I'd like to do in conclusion as we wrap up is just have a... I want to issue a challenge. I think it's hard to issue a challenge for something like this because, as I said, this is all-encompassing. But I really believe that as you were sitting and listening, there may be something that you're thinking about in life that you'd like to practically be more generous in. It may be some of the traditional things when we think about whether it be giving financially or serving or, you know, maybe you serve once a month, but it's like, hey, I'm ready to take on a leadership role or something. But it also may be an interpersonal conflict you may have with somebody. Maybe as I'm sitting talking about the different arguments about the meat eaters, there's somebody else who's in that other camp that you don't want to look at. You're in some type of argument with somebody right now in this very room and you don't want to apologize because <laughs> you feel like you're right. But maybe that's something that the Lord's saying, hey, be generous in. And love trumps justice. As a staff, we're going over next year our theme for our launch coming up in September. And I'm not going to spoil it by saying it. But we're super excited. We know that God has huge things in store for us as a church next year. But I, and I know that if we get generosity down, if we become a church of generous people, we will be able to unlock so many great things this next year. So many great things. And even generosity, speaking on generosity, it's kind of a tough topic to deal with because we already go to a generous church. At our, at our kids, we went to kids camp and we did a couple of fundraisers. Every single kid who wanted to go to camp, was able to go. We gave scholarships out. There were some people we gave 100% scholarships to. There wasn't somebody who wasn't turned away because of your generosity. <clears throat> and it could be easy to rest on those laurels and say, hey, we're generous. 
But what I, what I love about what Jesus does is that no matter where you are on the spectrum, there's always that next step to be able to do. There's always that next area. So I pray that we'll be able to be a more generous people this next year. And there's one more thing that I wanted to mention. Every time I preach, I prepare my sermon, I get it ready to go, and I sit down and I say, all right, what's a critique that someone may have while listening to this sermon? I preach several times, and every time I preach, you always get the positive things, but you always get some people who are like, hey, you know, you probably should have mentioned this, you should have mentioned that, or you get emails, and Lance has talked about that all the time when he's been up here and preached, and one thing that I kind of have anticipating that maybe even some people are thinking about is, well, what about boundaries? I mean, how much do I have to give? You know, if I give everything, then I'm not going to have anything for myself. And I remember thinking, all right, well, that's something that maybe I should look at. I wonder what Jesus has to say on boundaries. And you know what I found? That anytime somebody tried to boundary Jesus into something, he completely smashed through the boundaries. Every time. You didn't put boundaries here. There was an example where somebody said, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? Boundary? And Jesus said, 70 times seven. So I was going to say I didn't mention boundaries. I guess I'm mentioning them now. But I don't know the answer. Pastor Kari preached a great message on boundaries a couple months ago. You can listen to that. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how that all fits together. All I know is that Jesus, when he speaks, he always goes against human nature and against our attitudes. And Jesus always broke through the boundaries. So I don't know where that, where that rests, but I do know that every time he speaks, Jesus always gets to the heart of the matter. And I think it would be dangerous for us to use boundaries as an excuse to hide an attitude in our hearts. And lastly, there's one other kind of tip or one thing that I just wanted to mention with generosity as we kind of move to generosity. Something that I've used and have found is just to practice gratefulness in our lives. I think that if we were to say one phrase every day of our lives, we would become more and more generous people every day is if we just said three simple words of, I have enough. Because there's something that fights against generosity that makes me feel as if we don't. Because we see somebody else and what they have and think, I don't have enough. I need more. I have enough. There's a famous verse, Philippians 4, that talks about anxiety. And I struggle with anxiety, so I use this verse often. And it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And it says that God's peace will come and rest on you. And I kind of would use this verse as almost like a Christian spell by saying it over and over again, hoping that it would work. When I have anxiousness, like, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. You know, don't think of the pink elephant. Don't think of the pink elephant. And just trying to will myself. And it wasn't until I actually preached on this verse, and I saw that with thanksgiving, that when we present our requests to God, thanksgiving and gratefulness needs to be a part of our vocabulary. So as we move on this idea of generosity and for us, I pray that we would be able to practice gratefulness and remind ourselves that we have enough and we are so grateful for what God has already given us. 
And the great part is, is that he says that as we begin to give out to all those other people, we'll receive it back. That there's a benefit to us. So I just want to challenge us all to do that as a church. So I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer today. So Lord, right now I just pray, as we listen to your word, as we begin to go on this journey of being and practicing generosity, I pray, Lord, that we would all be able to sit back and remind ourselves that we have enough, that you've given us so many wonderful things. Help us, Lord, to be able to move where we can be a people who are generous. I pray that when people think of Puget Sound Christian Center, there are many things that could be said, but I pray that people would say that that right there, that church, they're generous, that they love people. (coughs) Help us to be able to do that, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So, if we can go ahead and stand up, we're about to be dismissed. I have two quick announcements. Go ahead and stand before we leave today.